Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. Good to see you today. Now, before, before I get started, let me give a little plug for our team night tonight. Tonight is an opportunity to show appreciation to all of the Life Church volunteers. We've got a catered dinner for Missions Barbecue. How many of you like barbecue? If you don't, you can give me your plate. Amen. I love barbecue. We've got a catered dinner. We're just going to show some thanks. But if you're not serving on a team, why don't you just take a moment to join me right now in thanking everybody who serves to make this such a great church family. Amen. And if you want to get in on the free grub, all you got to do is join a team <laughs> and help us out. Amen. So good to see everybody today. Can you believe that we are halfway through February? Hard to believe, isn't it? And so welcome to week number six of our series, 40 Days of Prayer. And since this is a series on prayer, I need you to do something with me. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, say, it's February. You need to pray harder for snow. I mean, what in the world? We have gone a whole season with nary a flake accumulating on the ground. We need a little snow. Just one. Just once. Can you find a way? Please, Lord. (laughs) We need some snow. Preferably not on the weekend, but at this point, I'll even take that. Amen. All right. Well, let's jump right in. Without a doubt, one of the most difficult parts of this whole thing about prayer. And how many have been enjoying our series on prayer? I hope it's been helpful. I know it's been helpful for me. But you know, without a doubt, one of the most difficult things when you talk about the issue of prayer, and we're six weeks in, is that when we pray, sometimes we ask for things and they don't happen. That's probably one of the toughest parts of this whole thing about prayer. There are many in the Bible uh, where God promises to answer prayers. There's many places in Scripture. One of the examples of this is our text today. If you'll put it up on the screen, is Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 3. And it says, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. He said, call to me and I'm going to do what? There it is on the screen. I will answer you. Now that's a promise from God. God answers every single prayer. And we've already discussed this in the series and if, uh, and if you weren't here, you can listen to it online. You can uh, get the Life Church app, and, and all the sermons are there. But he doesn't always answer them the way that we would like for him to every time. 
Can the church say amen to that? But you still get an answer. No is an answer. Wait is an answer. Grow up is an answer. (laughs) In a little while is an answer. In my way, not your way is an answer. God never leaves a prayer unanswered. Every prayer is answered, but not every prayer does God say yes to, and there are many reasons for that. There are a lot of examples in the Bible where God says no to great men and women of faith. Prayers that were prayed by Abraham, God said no. Moses, no. Daniel, no. Look them up. Job, Jonah, Elijah, Peter, Paul. God said no to them. Now, how many of you are still humble enough as a saint of God to admit that can be confusing? Yeah? Amen? And I don't want to do this series on prayer without dealing with this question. So here's my sermon today. When God says no. When God says no. You're going to have many no's from God in your lifetime. And it's easy to think, well, if God is truly loving and if God has the power to control everything, why is he denying my request? Well, that's a good question. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes it can be a little frustrating. Why do some people get miracles and others don't? Why, when we pray for people who are sick, do some of them get well and some of them die? Anybody that's ever served the Lord has asked that question at some point, right? I have prayed for a lot of people who got well, and I've also prayed for a lot of people who didn't get well. And I'm going to tell you, I I pray a prayer of faith. This is a humorous story for another day, but one time I was on a missions trip in Mexico, and a man died in his car right in front of me. His daughter was screaming and shouting. I think he was having a heart attack on the way to the hospital. And I'm on this mission trip. (laughs) And man, faith welled up with inside of me. And I said, you know what, Lord? Here's a chance for us to pack out this place with people. If they see a man get raised from the dead, man, God, you can get the glory. And guess what I did? I climbed in the back seat of that car, unsolicited, language barrier. I laid my hands on that man and prayed for him. And guess what happened? Nothing. He didn't get raised from the dead. He didn't shake a little bit and fall over. Nothing happened. But hey, I tried. I tried. Matter of fact, the ministers that were on the trip with me, little preacher jokes, and by the way, you haven't been, you think construction workers are hard on each other? You need to get around preachers. I would come in the room, they'd be like, whatever you do, don't let Thompson pray for you. If you want to die, he's your guy. (laughs) But you know what? I had faith. I tried. You know what? Sometimes I still wonder, man, God, what would have happened if that guy would have raised up out of that car? But you know what? God said no. Why do some people get relief from their pain and others don't? Why do some couples pray for a child and they get a child and others just as sincere, claiming the same promises of God don't? get a child in other words why does God sometimes say yes and why does God sometimes say no well sometimes it's a mystery but sometimes it's a little more obvious for instance here's a real obvious one I made a joke about it at the beginning what happens if half of us in the congregation pray for it to snow before the end of March and the other half are praying for it not to snow 
Somebody's going to get a no. (laughs) A no to snow or a no to your prayer for snow. See, sometimes two people are praying for the opposite thing. Last Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, I'm sure there were a few diehard 49er fans who prayed for a win, and there were some probably some Kansas City Chief fans who prayed for a win. I'm really not too sure that God's all that interested in football, even though we like to think maybe he is. But guess what? I can assure you there were some people praying, and there were some other people praying, and half of them got a no, right? I'm going to tell you something right now in my introductory remarks that's worth the, worth the price of admission. Are you ready? There are some prayers that we pray And if God was to answer them, he'd have to take away somebody's free will and free choice. And he's not going to do that. Ever. Did you ever stop and think about that? What if somebody came up to you after service and said, I am praying that God forces you to marry me. That's not going to happen. Because number one, you might already be married. (laughs) But number two, God's not going to take away your free will. And that person can pray all they want to. God is still going to say no every single time because God is not in the business of taking away your free choice. He made you in his image, and he's not going to overrule your choice. Did you know God won't even force you to serve him? We're all here by choice today. Amen. Some of you are madly in love with Jesus. Some of you are on the fence. Some of you are not even sure about this whole Christianity thing. And you know what's great about God? He gives us a free choice. I serve him because I want to, not because I have to. Amen. Amen. He lets us choose. God's not going to force you to marry somebody. He's not going to force you to fall in love with somebody. And I've got bad news while we're talking about free will. He's also not going to force somebody to stay in love with you either. Some of you have prayed that prayer. God, make my spouse not leave. But they left. And you got mad at God. But hear me, it's not God's fault. Why? Because God doesn't force anybody to do the right thing. I just felt like I needed to clarify that. I wanted to say that right up front. Sometimes remember when you're praying for something. If it involves a violation of somebody's self-will, then, that, then God's not guaranteed that that's going to happen. Amen? You know why? You and I make choices. Some good, some bad. And God doesn't force you to do the right thing. That would make you a puppet and not a person. Amen? So if you're praying, God, I want you to change that person's mind and make them do this, God says, I'm not going to do that because I don't do that to you. So why would I do it to somebody else? So that's one big logical reason why people pray for things that actually don't happen. But there's also times when God says no, and if we're honest, it's, it's a mystery. It's unexplainable. There are times when you ask a legitimate request, you don't see anything wrong with it, you climb in the back seat of the car, you lay your hands on that person, And you say, God, all I can see is great results if you'll just answer this prayer. And God says no. Doesn't make any sense. And you know what? If we're honest, that's the times in our life when it's unbearable. When it's heartbreaking. That's when you go, if you're honest, you say, God, I don't get it. I just don't understand this kind of no. 
When that happens, I believe it's probably for many of us, it is the greatest test of faith in our lives. Prayers that are not answered the way you want them to be and are probably the greatest test in your life and in mine. God's saying, no, and are you going to trust me or not? So I want to deal with this today. What do you do when God says no? Particularly the times when there's a tragedy or an unexplained death or a destroyed dream or you've prayed and you've longed for something and you still get a no. Today's going to be real simple, not a complicated sermon, amen? I quit trying to razzle and dazzle people about 20 years ago, amen? So here you go. I want to give you a few reasons why God says no, and then I'm going to give you a few ways to respond. What do you do when God says no? And by the way, let me say this. These are for you to apply to your life because you know what else I've learned? Explanations don't always work when somebody else is dealing with something. And they're in the middle of it. Don't be too quick to use these reasons on somebody else who's in pain because we really don't know why God said no to them. Sometimes you just got to reassure yourself or comfort yourself because when somebody is dealing with pain, I have learned that explanations are rarely comforting. If my wife died tomorrow and I knew the exact reason why, it would not make it any less painful. Right? Take it from somebody who always has looked for reasons why everything happens. So often we think if we understand why something happens, it'll make it easier. It doesn't. It doesn't. So it's okay to ask why, but what are you going to do when you don't get the answer to why? It's okay to ask it, but what are you going to do when you don't get an answer? See, some things you're going to only know and understand when we get to heaven. So never presume to know why God does something unless he clearly tells you. Real quick before I get into the why he says no and what do we do, let me just tell you, the perfect example of that is the story of Job, right? Job was the wealthiest man in the world. You can read his story. It's in the book of Job, J-O-B, amen, also known as Job. But it's in that book, and it tells a story about the wealthiest man in the world who in one day went to almost zero. All of his children were killed, and Job had a big family. All of his crops were burned. All of his cattle and his sheep and his goats died. He lost everything in one day. And then on top of that, he gets a painful disease. Now, you think you had a bad day? I don't think anybody in this room has had a day that even comes close to comparison to what Brother Job went through. None of us can match Job. So Job had three friends, and at first, you know what they did? They did the right thing. They sat down with Job. The Bible actually says they sat in seven days in silence. That's what a good friend does, by the way. They come alongside you and support you in your moment of grief. Amen? You find out who your friends are when the chips are down. That's what a good friend does. And for seven days, they supported him. But guess what? Then they started talking. They started explaining. The rest of the book of Job is them trying to explain the unexplainable. Job, you're suffering because of this. Job, you're suffering because of that. Job, you did this, you did that, and they're all offering all these kinds of different reasons. They think they're helping Job by offering explanations, but you know what they're doing? They're making it worse. And the point is, they didn't really know why. And finally, by the end of the book, God restores Job's health and God rebukes his friends. 
for saying, you do not know what you're talking about. This had nothing to do with your plans or what you thought were my plans for Job. So the reason I want to emphasize this point is because you're always going to be on thin ice when you try to explain something difficult to somebody that God hasn't explained to them. Just comfort them, love them. All right, so now are you ready? Let me give you three possible of probably a thousand reasons why God says no. Here's number one. God says no when he has a bigger perspective. Because guess what? God can see what you can't see. God can see what you don't see. God sees the whole picture. We don't. We have a limited perspective. God sees the wide-angle view. We don't. God can see the future. You can't. God always sees stuff that we can't see. He can see around the curve. He can see 10 years in the future. He can see the implications of every decision, every yes, and every no. Hebrews 4.13 from the NIV says this, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Notice, it doesn't say it's all uncovered and laid bare before us. It's all uncovered and laid bare before him, and we have to give an account to him. God sees it all, and sometimes God doesn't answer the prayer the way we want it to be because he sees what we don't see. The problem with our limited perspective is that we so often don't see the unintended consequences of what we're asking for. God can see how the dominoes are going to fall over. God can see that every prayer that is answered yes starts a chain reaction. See, you don't see it, but God does. He knows how that decision that you just asked for is going to influence your grandkids and your great-grandchildren. Children. Your children. He can see multi-generational. I talked to you about it last week. He's multi-dimensional. He looks beyond just our linear one-degree, two-degree, 3D world. If you could see life the way God does, I guarantee you your prayers would be a whole lot different. So would mine. You'd, be, you'd never have unexpected trouble. You'd never have any unexpected difficulty. You'd be prepared in advance. But you know what? We don't see that way. I've already asked this in the sermon series, but do you give your children everything that you want, that they want? Of course not. Because you love them and because you can see things that they can't see. And God loves you and I too much to give us everything we ask for because he's got the big picture, the bigger perspective, and he can see what we don't see. The fact is, When I ask God for something, as much as I might think I might know what's best, I don't really know the full implications. I don't know the consequences. I don't know the results. I don't know how this is going to work out. See, my perspective is not big enough to know what good or bad may come, what's going to be set in motion, and what the consequences may or may not be. I don't know why God didn't heal that guy in the back seat in Mexico, but guess what? God knew his family. God knew his background. God knew his children. God knew what the situation was. God knew the ripple effect. I didn't even know the man. Really, when you think about it, how dare I ask God, why didn't you when I know nothing about that situation? See, God sees the big perspective. Every prayer has consequences to it. And God can see ahead. 
So sometimes God says no to protect you from something that you can't see. Look at Proverbs 2 and verse 8. It says, for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. He guards the course. He protects the way. Amen. Guards and protects because he has the bigger perspective. Remember the story of the Hebrew, three uh, Hebrew children? The, they really weren't children. They were men. And they had defied the king. They wouldn't obey him. The king said, guess what? We're going to throw you into that giant fire. We're going to throw you into the fire furnace. And you know what they said? They said, our God can deliver us, and he will deliver us. But if he does not, y'all know the story, right? And if he doesn't, then he's still God, and he's still able, and we're still going to serve him. And you know what? Ultimately, they were delivered. But check it out. God still let them go into the furnace. The difference was he walked through it with them. I'd be honest, I'm really being honest with you. I don't know, but I'm pretty sure they probably thought they were not going to see the inside of that furnace. But they were, and God did allow them to get thrown in. But guess what? They were untouched, and they were not burned. And when they came out, what had happened? The ropes that had tied them down were the only things that burned off. Now, here's what I know. Sometimes we say, God, please don't let me go through this trial. God says, I'm sorry, but you're going to go through it. But when you come out on the other side, hallelujah, somebody listen, you're going to be free. You're going to be free from that habit. You're going to be free from that person. You're going to be free from that fear. You're going to be free from that guilt. You're going to be free from that shame. Come on, somebody. The thing that was binding you up, you're going to be burned. It's going to be burned off of your life. There's only one way to get rid of your ropes. you got to go through the fire. Somebody give God a praise right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Some of you are going through the fire right now because the fire is what's required to burn your ropes off. Amen. Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, his greatest desire, read his story, was to go to Rome and preach the gospel. Amen. Because Rome was the center of the Roman Empire. And at that time, it really was kind of the capital of the world. And guess what? Paul made it to Rome. But I doubt if Paul envisioned how he was going to make it there. In chains. I'm sure that's not what Paul had in mind when he asked the Lord, I want to go to Rome and I want to preach, but guess what happened? While he was in jail, since he can't be out preaching in the Colosseum, which was his spiritual gift, by the way, but since he couldn't be doing what he thought he was going to be doing, he decided to write a few things down. He decided to write a few letters to some churches. And while he's locked up in jail, he wrote a large part of the New Testament. So here's what I want to ask you. Come on, big picture. God sees the big perspective. I wonder what's more effective. If he would have just let Paul go and preach in the Colosseums for three years or five years or ten years or if what he actually did by imprisoning him, locking him up, and writing the New Testament where hundreds of millions of people are still reading about it today... You see, we don't see the big perspective. 
God, I don't want these chains. This is not how I pictured my revival going. I thought they were going to put me in the Hilton and feed me Mission's Barbecue. I thought I was going to get an honorarium and a rental car. Nope. Chains. Jail. Dungeon. So guess what? Witness to your guards. Ask for some paper and a pen. Write down what I'm telling you to write down to the churches. And just let me unfold my plan. Oh, so good. God says, no, Paul, you're exactly where I want you to be. Chained up in this prison. Because even though you don't know it yet, what you're getting ready to do is going to affect my bride forever. No, Paul, I see the bigger perspective. Number two, second reason God sometimes says no is when he has a better plan. See, God often says no when he has a better plan. Sometimes God says, I intend to answer your prayer, just not in the way that you want it answered. I'm going to say yes, but I'm not going to say yes the way you want it said yes. I got a better idea. I've got a better plan. In God's infinite wisdom, God has a better plan for your life. You want to hear from Scripture, Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God says, my thoughts, my ways. Notice it's plural. God never just has one way about doing anything. Hallelujah. God's options are unlimited. He has many alternatives. God is never forced to answer in just one method. Let me give you an example. Let's say you're in deep debt. Don't raise your hand. Amen. <laughs> Lord, bless them in this house. Amen. But let's say you're in deep debt. You're in financial stress. You pray, God, I've spent money I didn't have to buy things I didn't need. Now I'm in a jam. I really need you to get me out of this jam. Well, winning the lottery might be one way, but it is highly unlikely, right? You know what? God doesn't have just one method. A rich uncle that you didn't know dying and leaving you inheritance might be a way out, but it is highly unlikely. God says, I know you blew it, but guess what? I'm going to figure out, I'm going to show you ways to increase your income. I'm going to show you ways to reduce your debt. I'm going to bless you in this area. I'm going to do this. I'm going to move this. I'm going to get you this job. It's, it took you a long time to get in it. It's going to take you a while to get out of it. See, God's got a better plan. Here's what I know. The problem is when we pray, we don't just tell God what we want. We tell him how we want it. And how many of you will admit the way that we want is usually the easiest way? God, I really want you to fix this, but I want to take the long path. I want to climb up the rough side of the mountain. I've never heard anybody pray that prayer, amen? If that's your prayer, come talk to me. You need a little help, amen? I'm going up on the rough side of the mountain, but not by choice, (laughs) right? You see, we want it the easy way, but God doesn't usually give us the easiest way. He gives you the best way, and you know what the best way is? One that helps you grow your character. One that helps make you the person that he wants you to be. See, because God's more interested in your character than your comfort. He wants you to grow in your faith, amen? 
And you know what? Can I say this real sweet and as kind as I know how? I wish I had a glass glass of iced tea so I could sweeten it up just a little bit more. But you know what? Some of us are still struggling with the same old thing year after year, year after year, same old issue because we still haven't fixed our character in this area of our life. So you know what God is saying? I'm saying this in the Holy Ghost. He's saying, I'm going to leave you in the fire till those ropes burn off. Because God's got a better plan. And the way that grows your face sometimes requires a delayed answer. Folks, God's not a vending machine. You don't go up and put $2 in and get a pack of nabs out. It's not how it works. He's not Aladdin in a bottle where you just rub the bottle and you get three wishes and life is great. Amen. Wish number one, wish number two, wish number three, three more wishes. It doesn't work that way. Amen. Sometimes in order for us to grow, God delays the answer. And he says, you're going to go slow until you grow. And then I'm going to give you the answer. Did you know that in the Bible, many of the greatest people of faith did not get the answer that was promised to them when they died? We all love to read Hebrews chapter 11, right? The faith chapter. Not a lot of people spend a whole lot of time on the last part. Verse 39 and verse 40. <laughs> By faith, Moses did this and Abraham did that. Well, let's get to verse 39. Let me tell you what it says. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received. What had been promised? Verse 40, since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Did you know some of them did not get what they were praying for so they could help us with our faith? The fact that they didn't quit because they didn't get a yes And God says, coupled with us, together with us, they are made perfect. God had planned something better. And did you know what else? God has all of eternity fulfill his promises. Amen. I love how Pastor Suarez, when he talked about his wife, Jessica, when she died of cancer. And I love how he and his children, they immediately felt like, you know what? God healed her in heaven. She's gone from us, but now she's healed of this disease. This disease has no more hold on her. You know, there are about 6,000, some even say 7,000 promises in the Bible to us. So God is not limited to our 80 or 90 years on this earth. Can I tell you, I've really learned this. God made some promises for life, church, and if he tarries, some of the promises that God has made for this church and to my wife and I, they may come to pass if the Lord tarries after I'm gone. See, we only look through our 80-year lens. God sees the big picture, amen? We only look through our limited understanding, but God sees the entire picture, and he's the only one, by the way, who knows when this whole thing is going to wrap up on the face of the earth. So sometimes God says no because he has a bigger perspective. Sometimes God says no because he has a better plan. And sometimes God says no when he has a greater purpose. A greater purpose. See, God always acts for good and in love, and he won't answer a prayer that interferes with your purpose in your life. Let me say that again. God has a purpose for your life, And he's never made anything without a purpose. 
God will not interfere with your purpose through your prayers. That's why it's important to pray the will of God in your life. That's why it's important to sometimes pray in the Spirit. That's why it's always to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. See, God will let not let you sabotage yourself through your prayers. He's not going to give it to you. Psalm 57 and verse 2 says, I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. God's not obligated to explain why he does what he does because there's some things that you and I are just not going to understand, even with an explanation. Not everything that happens in your life is good. A lot of bad stuff happens because we make bad choices and other people make bad choices, right? But did you know what God says? I can even use that in your life. I can use your mistakes, I can use the mistakes of other people, and I can fit that into the purpose that I have for your life. In everything God does and allows in your life and in my life, even the bad stuff, He allows for a purpose. And the purpose is good, including the problems and the unanswered prayers. They're all part of the purpose. 1 Peter 1 and verse 7 says this, These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So what do you do? Anytime you're discouraged, things are not happening, remind yourself, God's got a bigger perspective. He's got a better plan. He's got a greater purpose. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, 18. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Amen. So let me quickly share with you three things about difficult circumstances that we need to remember. Number one, some things in life that you're just not going to understand until you get to heaven. Amen. Bible says there's secret things that God doesn't reveal because we wouldn't understand them. Some of these you're just going to have to figure it out when you get up there. Number two, there's some things in life that are never going to change. It's a harsh reality, but it's true. Some problems in life are never going to change until we get to heaven. If I drive home, I know this sounds morbid, but if I drive home today and I get in an automobile accident and I lose both legs, guess what? They're not going to grow back. It's not going to change until I get to heaven, right? So permanent problems happen sometimes in life because we live in a broken world. Things happen. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. And God says, I'm not going to take it away, but you're going to learn from it. If you learn to manage it, you've got to trust me. And thirdly, sometimes you're going to suffer for the benefit of other people. Sometimes your suffering benefits others. Amen. It's called redemptive suffering. We talk about it in our growth track. Don't waste your pain. Use it to help somebody else. Did you know the only pain that is wasted is pain that you don't learn from and you don't use to help somebody else? Amen? You can help somebody who's going through what you went through. Is Paul and Mary in here today? Paul Austin? Raise your hand, Paul. 
I didn't ask any of these people's permission, but I'm just going to say this. Paul and Mary Austin went through the painful death of a child. You know what they did? They used their terrible pain to start a grief recovery group. Lillian Battle, Melissa Pope, they've both been through painful divorces. They took their pain and they led a divorce recovery group. Robert Jones, where are you at, Robert? Raise your hand, Robert. I love that man right there. Robert Jones battled addictions in his life, battled stuff in his life. He suffered through that pain. You know what he did? He started a celebrate recovery group. Dana, where's Dana and Carter? Dana and Carter gave birth to their son, Dakota, as a preemie. And there were some times there where it was touch and go. They almost lost him. You know what she ended up doing? She started a ministry called a mother's keeper. Mother's keepers. That ministers to moms and their premature babies. And now she works with the Ronald McDonald House. You know what she did? She took her pain and she used it to bless other people. (laughs) Folks, I'm giving you real life examples right here in this congregation. Take your suffering and use it to bless somebody else. I could share other examples where people who submitted themselves to God and he said, you know what? I'm going to take your pain and because you allow me to, I'm going to bless other people. So can I just stop right here and say for some of you in this room, God wants to take the greatest pain in your life and he wants to use it to benefit other people. The suffering that Jesus endured on the cross was for the benefit of other people. And is it possible that we're never more like Jesus than we're using our pain to help somebody else? Amen. So let me switch gears real quick. Let's talk about what do you do when God says no? Number one, are you ready? First of all, you got to trust him. You got to trust him because he does everything in love. Everybody say trust him. God does not do anything in an unloving manner. God does not do anything from a posture of evil. Everything God does is always for your own good because he loves us. We have to trust him. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. We got to trust him. You need to remember that and you need to trust that God does everything in his goodness even when he says no because anytime God says no you know what Satan's going to do he's going to start shooting darts of doubt at you God doesn't love you if he cared for you he would give you that if he cared for you he would do that for you he doesn't love you folks Satan is a liar hallelujah Remember this, you don't have to understand God's answer to know that it is motivated by love. So when God says no, you've got three options. You can resist it, you can resent it, or you can relax in it and trust him. Amen? I'm going to skip some notes here. Number two, second thing you do when God says no is accept God's plan. Would you repeat it with me? Accept God's plan. When Jesus was about to go to the cross, he prayed. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane is a word that means where they press the olives. Here's the scene. Jesus knows that tomorrow he's going to be suffering. He's going to be tortured. 
He's going to be put on a cross. He's going to be shamed. He's going to be spit on. He's going to be whipped. He's going to be crucified. And let me be real clear. Read the story in all the Gospels. The man Christ Jesus does not want to go through this pain any more than you and I would want to go through this pain. Read your Bible. Look at his prayer, Mark 12, uh, 14, 35 and 36. He went on a little farther, and he fell to the ground, and he prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Listen, this is Jesus. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, everybody say yet. That's the part that's hard for us. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. I want your will to be done, not mine. He's saying, God, if it's possible, I don't want to die on the cross. If there's another way for the salvation of the world to come, I don't want to do this. You can take this cup of suffering from me. He prayed that if possible, take it away. Remember last week I talked to you about Abba, Father, here it is again. Abba, Father. But then he said something powerful. Yet, I want your will to be done. Father, I know you can do anything. All things are possible for you. I'm really asking you to take this cup of suffering away from me. However, God, what I want most is for your will to be done. What I want most is for your plan to be accomplished. I want your purpose. I want your will. And folks, when we can pray that prayer, God knows we can trust him and we can accept his plan. I just got to ask you, can you accept God's plan for your life? Most of us have lived long enough to admit it hasn't unfolded exactly like we thought it would. But can you accept his plan for your life? I want you to stand with me all over this audience. Praise team and musicians, would you come? So number one, you got to trust him. When he says no. Number two, you need to accept his plan when he says no. And number three, you need to receive his grace when he says no. Expect God to give his grace in order to allow us to handle his answer. Did you hear that? He's not going to leave you struggling alone. He's not going to leave you just wallowing around in self-pity unless you choose that path. Accept God's grace. Accept His strength. Accept His power. What is grace? Grace is simply God's power to handle and process the pain in your life. Grace is God's power to handle disappointment. Grace is God's power to move forward when He says no. Even the Apostle Paul already talked to you about how amazing he was. He was probably the greatest Christian who ever lived. He didn't get all the answers to his prayers. In fact, he had one situation that he prayed about often, and the Scripture called it his thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know exactly what it was. I can tell you what theologians think it was. There's a couple of answers, and there's one that's probably true. That doesn't matter. But it was a lifelong problem that caused a lot of pain in his life, and he said many, many times I prayed for God to take it away, and God would not take it away. He said no. Here's what Paul said about this problem. Look at it, 2 Corinthians 12 and 8. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. He begged. This wasn't just a little, well, God, you know, 
I can deal with this, but I, no, no. He begged the Lord to take it away. Verse 9, what was God's response? Each time he said, my grace is all you need. And then check this out. My power works best in weakness. Man, God, why won't you do this? Because my grace is really all you need. God, I feel weak from this. I can't. I, 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 this thing is just too much for me. I just wish you would help me. No, 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 no. You see right now, my power is working greatest in your life because of this weakness. And then Paul said this, so now I'm glad. He said, i got to accept it. I need to understand this is his plan, so I need to flip the script in my brain. I'm going to have to trust him. I'm going to have to. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. And then, man, he even, he even took it the next mile. Look at verse 10. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, the hardships, the persecution, and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. Not only have I accepted it, now I embrace it. Because I recognize that when I'm weak, then I am strong. Oh, hallelujah. My grace is sufficient. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Folks, you wouldn't be saved if it wasn't for him. You wouldn't be on your way to heaven right now if it wasn't for him. And God has a bigger plan, a better plan, a bigger perspective, a greater purpose. So i got to ask you right now today as we close this service and I'm getting ready to open this altar. What have you been praying about so far that hasn't happened? Some of you are praying, God, I just want somebody to love. I, I, I want to be married. And I'm going to tell you right now as your pastor, I want that for you. I do. If I'm honest, my heart breaks when there's prayers like that that are not being answered. But you got to remember this. Sometimes things don't happen because God has a bigger perspective. He might be protecting you from an unforeseen problem and pain that's greater than any pain you've ever endured. God's got a better plan. Your story has not ended yet. Can I speak to some of you who've gone through a divorce? That was not the end of your story. That was the end of a chapter. But that's not the end of your story. God is not finished with you. God is not finished with you. I feel it so strongly, I'm going to tell you again. God is not finished with you. You might have lost a business. You might have gone bankrupt. You may be the the victim of infidelity or abuse. God is not finished with you. He's got a greater purpose, and right now He's working on you, and He's going to give you the grace and the power to handle it. His grace is sufficient. Psalm chapter 9 and verse 10, those who know your name trust in you. For you, O Lord, do not abandon those who search for you. See, because if you don't trust God when He says no, you've got to get to a place where you can trust Him. 
because he's good and he's loving. And if you don't know him today, you need to get you need to start by getting to know him today. You're not going to get a yes answer to every one of your prayers. But God is a good God. Amen. He's a loving God. He's got a greater perspective. He's got a better plan. He's got a greater purpose. Father, I want to get to know you. Dear God, I want to open my life to you. I want to learn to love and trust you. I don't want to resist you or rebel against you when things don't unfold the way I want them to. I just got to learn to trust you. So I'm going to open up this altar right now, and I'm going to invite you to come. First of all, if you're not a believer, I invite you to take that first step. Come forward. Repent of your sins. Ask the Lord to come into your life. Begin to make that step in your journey with the Lord. Repent of your sins. If you've never been baptized, I invite you to be water baptized today. If you're a believer, you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, I invite you to be Holy Spirit baptized. But right now, I'm going to reach for a real big audience. If you're a believer and you've struggled with the answer no, I want you to step out from where you are right now. And I want you to say, God, I'm recommitting to you that I trust you in every area of my life. That ought to be every one of us right now. God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. Things haven't always turned out like I want them to, but I'm still going to trust you. God, I've gotten a lot of no's when I would have preferred some yeses, but God, I trust you. I trust you. I trust your plan. I trust your perspective. I trust your purpose in my life. Let's begin to pray. Amen. Come on, that's it. Yes, God. God, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you even when you say no. all of a sudden, I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory. And I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are. Oh, yes, yes. How he loves us all Oh, how he loves us How he loves us all Oh, yes, he does Hallelujah. 
child there was a lot of things that your parents did that you didn't like and it made no sense matter of fact some of their decisions you flat out resented some of their decisions but as you get older isn't it funny how mom and dad get smarter isn't it funny how some of the things that you didn't understand as you begin to age as you begin to get a little bit of seasoning in life you start realizing you know what They were right, and I was wrong. And it's the benefit of hindsight. It's the benefit of looking back. You don't appreciate it at the time, but you can look back and trust. You know what? In most cases, even if they made the wrong choice, they definitely had my best intention at heart. And you know what I think we need to to use that analogy as believers and understand? There's some things, it just doesn't make sense on this side. Now, I can already tell you, 53 years of age, there's some praise I prayed when I was 25, and I can already look back now, and I thank God that he said no. I thank God that he was a whole lot smarter than I was, and now I can say thank you. 
But can I also be honest and tell you, there's still some things I've been praying about and it hasn't happened yet. And I'm like, man, God, if you would just. But I've got to trust that whether it's in this life or it might actually be when I get to heaven. Right now, I look through a glass darkly. Hallelujah. Right now, it's like looking at a mirror that's covered. And sometimes it just doesn't make sense. But do I trust Him or not? I want to set somebody free right now. Stop trying to figure it out. Stop trying to figure it out. Just say, Lord, I trust you. You might not even be in a place yet where you can say thank you. That's okay. Just say, God, I trust you. I trust you. If you're saying no, it's got to be for my good. So I trust you. And if you reveal it to me in five years, great. If you reveal it to me in ten years, great. But if you don't ever reveal it to me on this side of eternity, God, I'm still going to trust you. Because when I get to heaven, it's not going to matter anyway. Can I tell you this? And I'm going to be quiet. We're going to go home. So many things we pray about are not eternal. I don't want to pop your bubble. Your marriage is not even eternal. Your relationship to your children is not even There's only one thing that's eternal, and that's your relationship with Jesus Christ. There's only one thing you're going to take to heaven with you. That's your walk with God. Everything else, no matter how important it seems to us, guess what? It's not going to matter when you get on the other side. So the most important thing you can do is to make sure you're right with God. And don't let a no keep you from a right standing with God. Don't let a no cause you to get bitter. Don't let a no drive a wedge between you and your Savior. Amen. Father, I want to pray for everybody in this room right now. God, I'm not even pretending that no's are easy. They stink. They're tough. Sometimes they make me angry. Sometimes they hurt me. But God, I trust you. I do trust you. I really do believe that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And God, when I ask you to have your will in my life, I trust that your will is what's best in my life. So God, when you say no and I don't like it, help me to trust you and help me to believe you for better things. God, if it hurts, I just ask you to soften the pain. And let your grace come into my life and be sufficient. God, if I'm weak, I just ask you to give me extra power so that your power will be made perfect in my weakness. And Lord, in all things, I want you edified and glorified in my life and in the life of this church. Everybody repeat after me. We trust you. Let's give him praise. Father, we love you. Thank you. Hallelujah. I praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I praise you, mighty God. 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 And I thank you. I thank you. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Have a great week. If you haven't signed up for a life group, sign up. Dream Teamers, be back here tonight at 6 o'clock. We're going to have a great, great time in the house of the Lord.
Men, if you don't mind to help us, if we can remove these two middle sections of chairs. Any of you able-bodied men that will help us, we need to remove these two sections of chairs. The guest services team will show you what to do. Thank you. 